0: Hey guys, welcome to episode 122 of The True Crime Couple. I'm Kay. And I'm John. Thank you all for joining us and supporting the podcast today. And if you've joined Patreon recently, we have a shout out for you at the end of this episode. We do. And without any further ado, John, are you ready to get into today's episode?
1: I am. I just, (laughs) I had to tell you, I had the worst luck today I haven't even told you yet, but you're going to find out with the audience right now what happened. Okay. Uh, It's pretty embarrassing, but I'm going to let everyone know. Um, I was in my computer chair last night. I was you know, just on a computer with some friends, and all of a sudden, my chair started leaning to one side like I was on a Titanic sinking, and it scared the shit out of me, right? So then I got up and looked, and I'm like, oh my God, did I just bend the chair when I sat down? I'm like, is that is that where I'm at right now? Is that what's going on? So I actually have to record this episode instead of a nice comfortable chair. I have to now sit in a like a dining room chair. So I, well, you were asking me assuming, why what happened yeah. before, so that that's what happened.
0: I was assuming something happened because your chair is sideways right now in the laundry room. Yes, and you have a dining room chair.
1: Yeah, and I did nothing. I did absolutely nothing. All I did was just sit in it. Sometimes I got up, I sat back it down, happens. and it was like, in the background, I was imagining, like, in that movie Titanic, all the, like, violin players playing for me as I was sinking in the chair. So, I'm upset.
0: It's very dramatic of you.
1: It is, but you know what? Like, I, I don't know. But anyway, that's what I'm dealing with right now. But I, I am ready to go, though. I feel
0: like you look <laughs> more ready today than you have before.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know what it is.
0: The better lumbar support might have you, like...
1: Maybe. More active. Maybe we'll see i don't know but i just (laughs) thought you guys would either get a kick out of that or feel bad for me either way wanted you guys to know
0: i'm sure they they feel terrible for you yeah yeah no how else are you going to play endless hours of video games
1: you're right well it is you know a part of uh what i like to do so but i do like doing the podcast way more though so
0: (laughs) that is potentially untrue
1: no no seriously i love the podcast (laughs) i love you guys
0: that's true. You have a very, like, just, you're laid back. You're listening. You are them.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I try to speak for all the people.
0: It's <laughs> <laughs> a tough job.
1: Yeah, I guess. But so- someone, someone's got to do it. Someone's got to do it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. So, you ready for this episode? I am ready. You seem more ready than usual. So, I'm excited for this. Let's do it. The case I have for you today is a little different. We do have a murder the murder of a man. while moreover, he was a husband, a father, and a grandfather. The investigation into his case went cold after law enforcement had no leads to follow up on until there was a break in the case eight years after it took place. What I will be doing for you today is laying out the aftermath of that break in the case. As you listen, you will call into question whether or not the supposed murderer is a victim themselves, a victim of life circumstances, or a miscarriage of justice. This case is polarizing, and I promise you that there is an end result, but I cannot promise you that you're going to like
1: it. Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in
0: his apartment. We are all evil
1: in some form or another, are
0: we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. Chattanooga, Tennessee, is beautiful. The small city delivers breathtaking 360-degree views, of the Cumberland Plateau, which is the southernmost part of the Appalachian Mountains. The Tennessee Valley area is a fascinating one in America. It has a unique history that we can see reverberated into its present. There has always existed a large gap reminiscent of the one that made the Cumberland Mountains famous, between the rich and the poor, between the old money who survived the Great Depression and the poverty-stricken whose relief only came slightly with the creation of the Tennessee Valley Authority by FDR. Today, this can be seen through business interests in the city being driven by the wealthy and those of lower income areas restricted to certain sections of the region where crime rates are higher than they are in the wealthier areas, which really only perpetuates the crime rate. But I guess this is something that you could say about most cities and towns in the United States. This situation also breeds preconceived notions that people that are from certain parts of town will live up to the expectations set for them. And that was something that will play a key role in this case. But first, let's get back to the formula of a true crime case, the crime. That's what we have to cover first. And on January 16, 2009, the Chattanooga Police Department responded to a frantic 911 call made by Linda Bonner. At around 5.20 p.m., she returned to her Washington Hills home from work to find her house ransacked. She ran through the living room and into the kitchen. She was looking for her husband of 20 years, Franklin. She found him bound to a kitchen chair. Duct tape excessively covering his body and face. She ran to him, knocking him over frantically as she pulled the duct tape from his face. It had covered his nose and mouth horizontally, while pieces also vertically covered those strips. His face had been completely covered. Once she had it all off, she realized that he wasn't breathing. Linda desperately screamed and cried into the phone as she told the 911 operator that he wasn't breathing and that she needed someone there. First responders arrived quickly, but it was of no use. Franklin had passed away before Linda had even gotten home. The 68-year-old grandfather had lost his life in an apparent home invasion. The scene was a brutal one. The Bonner house was a mess. Everything in the kitchen, where Franklin was taped to a chair, had been upturned and thrown around the place. The living room was also a mess, An apparent struggle and robbery had taken place. The victim was excessively taped to the chair. Although his wife had ripped the duct tape from his face, so much more of it stuck to his body and the chair. The man's legs were taped together at the ankles by what looked like dozens and dozens of layers of silver duct tape. His forearms, from wrist to elbow, were covered by more dozens of layers of duct tape, and his upper arm had also been taped to the chair. And as we know from Linda, he had the same tape crisscrossed on his face. According to a later autopsy report, It was stated that his cause of death was suffocation from the duct tape covering his nose and mouth. Whether the person or people who had been robbing him intended for him to die, we do not know. But he did. The Bonner family lost a husband, father, and grandfather that day. And as the family mourned, the Chattanooga Police Department geared up to investigate the first homicide of 2009. Yes,
1: yeah, so this is pretty crazy. I um The, the first note I want to make is it doesn't seem like one person could have subdued him and put him in that chair and then duct tape it. Because think about it. If you're trying to do that, you're trying to hold that person in the chair while you're taping it, and it's excessive. So I'm thinking right, right away I'm thinking has to be more than one person. Okay. And also, it seems like it would have taken a long time for him to suffocate with all that duct tape on him. And the reason why I say that is because maybe by subduing him in the chair with that much duct tape, maybe it was to find something specific, maybe? And they needed him to kind of show it where it was? Because think about it. If you just wanted to take somebody out, you just tape him on the chair and like, you know, throw him down the stairs or put him somewhere where he's out of sight, out of mind while you continue to rob. So is this something where he had to witness it or show them where something was that they were looking for?
0: Like maybe it was kind of like a a slight torture thing and then when he wasn't helping, they just covered his face with duct tape.
1: I think so, and I think the face stuff is probably an afterthought. Like his whole body was encased in it, (laughs) practically, but his face might have, you know, maybe he was speaking to them. And then they, you know, at the end, they kind of They didn't just... want to talk to him exactly, anymore. Exactly.
0: Yeah, you're right. Because there really is no reason to have everything duct taped on his face if he's totally encased, like, a, basically like a mummy into this chair.
1: Yeah. And that's a really brutal way to go, let me tell you.
0: Yeah, the duct tape is, is excessive on his whole body. There are crime scene photos of this, and it's very sad to see. I also have to say that while the person or people, and I agree with you in saying that this definitely has to be more than one person, they had to have known when he stopped breathing because he had to have been stopped struggling.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's true.
0: They did nothing to help him. So although this may be like an unintended murder, they had to know that he
1: couldn't breathe under there. So I think it is, and I'm going to bring up another point too that we want to keep in mind. He was how old? 68. 68. I'm just going to say it. If he's 68 years old, you know you are getting on the older side. Anything could happen to you if you're restricted in such a way, right? You're going to struggle to get out. It's human nature to want to try to put, you know, pull and push and try to get out of that situation, right? When that happens, you got to think your heart rate's racing. You know, you're you know you're exerting energy. You can't go nowhere. It's possible that like. You know, he could have even, you know, died by a heart attack or some other way of of that. Maybe he even tried to tip the chair over and break out of it and like hit his head and and died. Like there's so many things that could have happened while he was in that chair or, or, you know, that maybe they didn't intend for him to die, but he still died that way.
0: Well, no, he definitely only died of the suffocation.
1: Right. But we don't know. No, I know that. But I'm saying, like, think about his struggle for maybe a, They
0: could have caused his death in other ways, correct, you're saying. Correct. Yeah, I think that their concern was not for him and that they really didn't care whether he lived or died through this. Right. A motivation for the home invasion was revealed right away by the Bonner family. So this is very interesting because usually what um, we see is that when there is a home invasion or something, or a victim just period, we do always hear oh, there was nobody who wanted to hurt him. There was no reason why someone would want to break in. or, And in this case, we're like, no, there's a reason right away. And that was the fact that Franklin, a retired Chattanooga Public Works employee, was known in the neighborhood to be a numbers runner and a small-time marijuana dealer. Because of this, it wasn't unusual for him to have a lot of cash on him. So this kind of pointed detectives in the direction that maybe somebody had robbed him because they were looking for or thought he had a substantial amount of cash on him you know because when people would want to bet or they'd want to buy marijuana they would usually kind of just show up at the house located on enterprise lane so it could have really been anybody
1: I mean that's true. It could have been someone that had debt that they couldn't pay it, and they decided to take him out. It could have been you know uh, anything to do with like marijuana. Like I mean, with him, you know, with him obviously selling it. I mean, think about it: a sixty-eight year old man in a house by himself at the moment. Oh, he must have cash on him. Easy score.
0: Exactly. Like they could just be like some kids or or just anybody who's desperate for money or somebody who's just seeing an opportunity of here's this older man who's home alone and has a lot of cash it'd be pretty easy to do this and
1: if, and if i'll tell you what and if the neighborhood knows a lot of people know exactly
0: yeah and it was kind of known that people would always come and go when it came to like the numbers game like lottery gambling and stuff like that but When it came to him selling pot, he didn't necessarily always have it or was involved in that. So a lot of times people would call and ask if he had it first. So the police did the first thing that makes sense and they checked his call log and they found that the first person that he spoke to that day, um, actually the only person that he spoke to was a woman named Shirley who lived about two and a half miles away And a call had come come from her to Franklin. So, of course, you know, this is the first lead that they have in the case. So the detectives want to speak with Shirley, maybe not even just because they think right away she's a suspect, but she was the last person to speak to Franklin before he was murdered. Yeah,
1: I mean, she might know something that uh, no one else is aware of.
0: Like he might have said, oh, someone so-and-so is stopping over. Yeah,
1: or someone's at the door. I'll call you back later or anything.
0: Right, like even to just like establish time frame of when this could have happened.
1: 100%.
0: So Shirley told the detectives that she had called Franklin Bonner, who she referred to as Cookie, because she was looking for marijuana. They spoke on the phone that day, and she denied having ever made the trip to his house. Um, She was kind of evasive about a lot of questions that were asked, um, but detectives obviously knew that because... They were speaking with her about something that was illegal to do. This wasn't something that was completely out of the ordinary. But nonetheless, detectives found this interesting, and they did put Shirley on the very short list of persons of interest in the case. While processing the scene, the crime scene analysts were able to find a number of latent prints that did not belong to the victim or his wife. But that was the only physical evidence that had been found at the scene. The prints were tested against CODIS and all other local records, but there were no matches. The person or persons in the house that day had never been fingerprinted for a prior crime. That was a big hit to the investigation. After that, for many reasons, the case went cold. There were no witnesses. There was limited physical evidence and a lack of people wanting to discuss the case because they didn't want to implicate themselves in the purchasing of illegal substances. And that was the way the case stayed until 2017. 21-year-old Angel Bumpus had been arrested for failure to appear in court for a speeding ticket. As is normal procedure, she was fingerprinted while she was being booked, and those prints were entered into the system. Those prints were a match for the prints that were found at the scene of the crime. Well, one of the sets of prints that were found at the scene of the crime.
1: Okay, so now, at this point, it's confirmed that there is more than one person. Yes. Ah, okay.
0: Well, we knew that there was more than one person from the beginning, because in total, 11 latent prints had been found in the house and on the duct tape. Okay. But... Two of them are going to come back as a match for Angela Bumpus.
1: Well, that's good. Took a while, but here we are. (laughs) Right.
0: Angel was arrested for felonious murder, which is when someone is murdered during the commission of a dangerous felony, like robbery. Angel appeared shocked at the second arrest and the charges that she faced. Let's not forget that in 2009, she was 13 years old.
1: Wow. Okay. I wonder now if like now, okay, could this be her boyfriend? You know, maybe that's who this other person could be. And maybe her boyfriend or 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 maybe a, a, even a family member even. Some, okay. Maybe like, you know, as a pair they went over there and, you know. And, that's interesting. And did the deed. Yeah.
0: Well... To detectives who arrived to question her, she maintained that she had no clue what they were talking about. She had not been at the Bonner house, and she never had been. She had nothing to do with the murder when she was 13 years old. Now, this is something that I find very interesting, and I don't know if it's the right call by the state of Tennessee, but the decision was made that Angel even though she was 13 years old during the commission of the crime was to be tried as an adult.
1: That is interesting. That's a good point. I, let's see, I don't really know the legality of, of all these things, but that is kind of weird. I mean, here you are now so far removed from the murder. You it was a cold case. You couldn't even find anything. Now we have a match in CODIS and now you want to charge this person but not charge them when they committed the crime, but as they are now. Yes. I find that a little, I find that a little screwed up, I think.
0: I have to agree with you. And I think this is also kind of just like a tactic also by the prosecution too, because they, they really want to come in hard on this and they want to see somebody really serve some time for this murder because it's been a cold case for a certain amount of time. And it's easy to come in and look at a woman who's 21 years old and say, okay, you're going to be tried as an adult. But I think it would have been really difficult to do to try a 13 year old and Angela Bumpus when she was 13, she weighed maybe 80 pounds soaking wet. She was extremely tiny. I mean, she's still tiny as an adult, but um, she was especially tiny when she was 13 years old. And no jury would look at her and would have convicted her as an adult. But now I think they're taking advantage of the fact that she's being put through this trial and this everything while she is now an adult. It's so easy to look back and say.
1: That's true. Also, I think the hammer's coming down hard because they know that there's more than one other person involved and maybe she'll spill the beans if she's pressed hard enough.
0: Nope, that's that's a totally good I I agree with that. That's yeah. that's a good theory. This also, you know, something kind of similar happened with the Whitman case if you guys remember back from um I believe it was uh, episode 104, but When the crime was committed, the person who was accused, because I don't want to give too much away, if you haven't listened yet, it's a great episode, but he was a lot younger, and then now you're going to face a trial older, and it is a lot easier for a jury to convict a grown adult versus a
1: child. Of course, because I think as a child, I mean, everyone knows. I mean, like they look, they look way more innocent, you know, in their tone of voice and in, in their stature and everything. So it's harder to be like, did that person really do that? It's a kid. Look at them. Like,
0: yeah, are they capable?
1: Yeah, it, I, it always I begs get the it. question: Are they capable at that age to, you know, be held responsible? Like, it's it's hard.
0: Well, I think in this case, it actually means a lot because could a 13-year-old girl who weighs 80 pounds have held down a 68 year old man and duct taped him like that
1: i think it's easy for a 80 pound person to tape someone while they're already being subdued by somebody older okay. and bigger no you know i agree I'm with saying? that yeah you know that's that's kind of how you have to look at it like what was the level of involvement Correct. the level of involvement literally could have just been that person rang the doorbell and then was taken advantage of after that like, you know what I mean? Yeah. We don't know the level yet.
0: True. Of involvement. Very true. So because Angel was being tried as an adult, she faced 60 years in prison.
1: Did you say 60?
0: 60. Six oh, wow. Six zero. Yeah. Interestingly enough, right around the same time as her being fingerprinted and charged with the murder of Franklin Bonner, a jailhouse informant provided information to the team that was prosecuting him. In exchange for a shorter sentence, of course, um, that his cousin, Mallory Vaughn, who was 26 at the time of the crime and was 34 years old now, confessed to him that he had been the one to commit the crime and that he had duct taped the man.
1: Interesting. Now, that also kind of begs the question, can you take like what is the legitimacy of um, this informant? Because this person just wants to get out of jail earlier.
0: Well, listen, they take this for being a 100% truth. Oh, really? Yes. They do, though, check the nine other unidentified prints against the Prince of Mallory Vaughn, and none of them were a match. However, he was still indicted by a grand jury, and it was determined that Mallory Vaughn and Angel Bumpus were going to stand trial together.
1: That is interesting. Yes. So wait, so that means that she was 13 at the time. And he was 26. Twenty six.
0: Correct. And nothing, nothing has ever tied the two of them together.
1: Yeah, like I'm trying to figure out like why would a 26-year-old be hanging out with a 13-year-old and then ganging up on a 68-year-old. Trying to take their money and yeah. stuff.
0: I mean, obviously, the prosecution exhausted all measures to try and find a connection between Angel Bumpus and Mallory Vaughn, and they were unable to do so.
1: Well, the one, well, one thing is for sure they were both there that night.
0: Well, we don't know that. Oh. Like, Angel's prints were on the duct tape, we'll find. Mallory Vaughn's prints were nowhere at the house, but his cousin is saying that he was there. So do we know for certain they were both there? That's questionable.
1: Yeah. Now, how funny would it be now if the tape belonged to Mallory Vaughn, right?
0: Well, if the tape belonged to Mallory Vaughn, then his prints would have been on it.
1: Right. And now it's actually the cousin and not Mallory.
0: Well, the cousin's prints were tracked as well.
1: Ah, damn. All right. Well, never mind. Because the
0: other prints don't match anyone in, in CODIS. I just found his And yeah. pre- his, his cousin was in jail.
1: Okay. I just find this interesting, though. Mm-hmm. Like something doesn't make sense. I know. There's like a missing piece there.
0: There are so many missing pieces to this puzzle, and it's only going to get a little bit more interesting. But first, we're going to take a break and talk about our first sponsor of the show. Okay. Let's get back to the show. Now, something is going to happen to this case and trial that's going to turn the whole thing on its head. The A&E Network.
1: The A&E Network?
0: Yeah, like TV show is going to take on this case. The case was picked up to be an episode in the show called Accused, Guilty, or Innocent. Okay. In this episode and the others in the season, and I think there was two seasons actually, but it aired in 2020. The cameras follow around the defense attorneys and the accused as they prepare to kind of go through their trials. And this trial took place in 2019. So it's a pre-COVID world. So it's, it's actually fascinating because we get to see the preparation and the play out of this trial. And it is intense and it gives you a very interesting perspective into the legal process and if you haven't watched it, it is something I highly recommend if you're a true crime fan, of course you are. But now the stakes are pretty high because there's millions of viewers watching this kind of happen.
1: Yeah, that's pretty wild. I I, I wanna see it now. <laughs> yeah.
0: I we can watch it after okay, this. Yeah, let's do it. That'll be nice. A little another date night.
1: Yeah. Just back to back.
0: <laughs> so um, I will say my only criticism for this show. I know the premise of the show, so it wouldn't make sense if they did this, but it would be interesting to have a little bit more of an insight from the prosecution's perspective. I don't know if they didn't want to get involved or if they just didn't want to show that side, but we kind of do only see things from the the side of the defense, but that makes
1: sense. I guess it's one of those things that's better than nothing, <laughs> you know?
0: No, it's true. And it's it's completely fascinating if you're interested in the legal aspects of these cases. The show helps weave a web of confusion because really nothing but confusion surrounds the case and the family of Angel Bumpus. And I have to admit that things were a little confusing um, first Angel is no longer in Chattanooga. She moved to Kentucky when she was only 16 years old. She claimed to the cameras that she wanted to leave Tennessee to get away um, from her grandparents' house, particularly her grandmother. who She was the one that she didn't get along with too well. And um, who her grandmother is makes the case very confusing. Her grandmother is the original person of interest in the murder of Franklin Bonner. Shirley.
1: Oh, wow. That's crazy. Okay.
0: The woman who called Franklin the day of his murder is actually Angel Bumpus's grandmother.
1: Interesting.
0: Very much so. Especially because she does not have a good relationship with her grandmother, and she moved out three years after the murder.
1: I wonder if there's some sort of connection there or, or some sort of reasoning or we could find something out with that. Yeah.
0: Now, Angel said that she lived with her grandparents for 10 years, from when she was six years old until the time she was 16 and chose to leave. Angel had to live with her grandparents because her mother, Tamika Bumpus, had been found guilty of over 30 charges when she was six years old following an incident where... um. Tamika, Angel's mother, had been in custody of the sheriff's department for forgery and identity theft when she stole a deputy's handgun, shot her with it um, in the right side of her chest, and then she fled the scene. She then held a civilian at gunpoint until he gave her his pickup truck, and she kind of tried to make a break for it. Oh. Oh. So now she's shot a female deputy. She's held a civilian at gunpoint, stolen his vehicle. I mean, there's this is just like a plethora of charges. She's just racking them up. And then she tries to drive away, but she is captured shortly after. And in fact, the whole thing had been a bit of a mess because when Tamika was in custody of law enforcement, like as she was being arrested, she was being arrested under one of her aliases, which is why she thought, if I get away, they won't catch me, because she wasn't being arrested as Tamika Bumpus. She was being arrested as one of the stolen identities.
1: Yeah. Because she had like
0: 10 aliases at that point. So it's
1: safe to say that the mother here isn't a good egg, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think she's a product of her environment. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess... You know, she thought, I can make a run for it because they really truly don't know who I am. But eventually um, she was recaptured and the deputy that she shot did survive. But Tamika was put away for the rest of her life for that.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of charges. <laughs> yes.
0: On top of the ones that she had originally been arrested for. So, yeah, it's a lot. So those were the circumstances that brought Angel to live with her grandparents. She said that life there was not ideal. Her grandfather was quiet and kept to himself, but her grandmother never showed her love. It was not an I love you, we give each other hugs kind of household. At 13, Angel claims that she was quiet. She liked going to school. She kept to herself. She had few friends. And like I said before, she was very tiny. She weighed about 80 pounds. She dreamed of leaving her grandparents' house and having a family of her own. So she most certainly had not been involved in the murder of Franklin Bonner. In fact, she said she didn't even know where he lived. And I think this is something that's interesting because earlier you said, could there possibly be a possibility that she was the girlfriend of Mallory Vaughn? And from the picture that is painted by Angel was... She was a very shy kid who was into reading in school, and she wasn't out, you know, being left to her own devices and just out in the street. She wasn't like that. So, what would motivate her to do something like that? It's it's well, yeah. very strange. Which
1: then is would then well, then in that case, it's even weirder than that. Her prints are all over this.
0: Well, not all over it. They're in two spots, and we're going to get into exactly where her prints were found on the duct tape. Okay. Angel, at the time that her trial is about to begin in 2019, 23 years old. She's a beautiful woman and now a mother of two adorable daughters. She does have a husband, but he is kept very much out of the programming. And even the news articles, like we know very little about him. She is working hard to provide a life for her children with her husband. Um, But again, he's kept out of everything. And she's also studying to become a nurse. So she very much so is providing a, a phenomenal life for her kids. And she's trying to, you know, put herself through school, which is nursing school is very difficult. She told the cameras that she had left Tennessee because she had wanted a fresh start. It wasn't only because she didn't really enjoy life at her grandparents' house. She also left because she wanted to escape the stigma of being a bumpus. Her family in that area had a bit of a reputation. Her mother, of course, was in prison. Her grandmother had a record as did two of her brothers and a number of her aunts, uncles, and cousins. So it's kind of like I said in the beginning of that episode, is that like wanting to kind of escape the stigma that surrounds you. And and that's what she wanted to do. And that's why she made what she felt was a clean break to Kentucky. And to escape all of that, you know, she just, she left and she's, trying really hard to do the right thing but you know from the perspective of of angel is she didn't have to try hard to do the right thing she just was doing the right thing because she had been her whole life
1: i mean that makes sense
0: right and let's not forget her first incident with the law like the reason why she was arrested and her fingerprints were put into the system was because she had been pulled over by the police got a speeding ticket failed to appear in court and got arrested like she didn't commit a crime and get arrested
1: and you know what I and I guarantee you the reason why she didn't show up to court was probably because of her past with her family she's probably untrusting of like law enforcement and, oh, the yeah. ju- and you know and the judicial system. system and everything like that so she was probably just really like I could I could write that off and say she probably didn't want to go. <laughs> You know, she's scared of it. So maybe.
0: Probably didn't want to go. Probably didn't think she had to go. Yeah, she just like maybe said, I'm just going to pay the ticket. And I think it's very interesting. Yeah, I don't know.
1: But I yeah, I, I think that would be a good indication as to why she didn't show up.
0: Yeah. No, I agree with you.
1: Past trauma or something of that nature.
0: Now, Angel was allowed to be out on bond because she had no prior arrests and was not a flight risk. She had school to attend, work to go to, and two young children to take care of, which she did while she was out on remand. She actually lived 300 miles away from where her defense lawyers were and where the trial was to be held. So every so often in preparation for the trial, she would have to travel all of that way to assist her lawyers. Her defense attorneys had to answer two questions in order to prepare a proper defense for their client. Could she have done it? And is there a reason as to why her fingerprints would be on the duct tape at the scene if she had never been there? Their first claim was that the 13-year-old girl had not physically carried out the crime, nor did it make sense that she would have. According to the prosecution, the robbery and the murder had occurred between 2 and 4 p.m. Angel did go to school that day, and she had taken the bus both to and from school. The bus home from school arrived at 2.45 p.m. Now, that only gives her a window of an hour and 15 minutes. However, the Bonner house was 2.5 miles away from her house. Is it possible that the bus dropped her off at 245, she walked to her house, retrieved duct tape, walked 2.5 miles, which takes 44 minutes to walk, conservatively, met up with Mallory Vaughn, a man double her age, and committed that crime in 25 minutes?
1: I don't think so. I don't know. I know it's so it's so crazy just to say right off the bat no, but I don't. I just don't know if that's enough time. And also, I still can't establish how these two are getting together to do this. Yeah. The, like, forget all that other stuff that you just said. What puts these two at the same plane Like the same playing field. What makes them work together what to go is carry their this connection? out? they like, why would a thirteen-year-old be with this twenty-six-year-old and carry out this act?
0: And Let's just say that even though it v- seems very difficult um, timing-wise for it to work out that way, let's just say it did happen that way. Wouldn't a 13-year-old child have been manipulated by this 26-year-old man? Like, this, is, she's not the mastermind of this.
1: No, I don't... I mean, no, I wouldn't think so.
0: Now, I'm not saying that, you know, just because someone's an accomplice they should get so much of a lesser sentence but i think this is a little bit of a different situation when a child is being manipulated by a, an adult in a crime versus two adults taking you know a role in a crime
1: oh no i agree with you 100 percent. also did i just she... think
0: the factors are just very strange in this case for her to be tried as an adult here
1: yeah now did she know where he lived
0: no she claims that she has never been to the bottom So house. then
1: let me ask you. I'll ask you. Okay. Do you think it's possible at thirteen years old to walk two point one miles, whatever it is, to a location that you have no idea where it is? Does that make any sense to fit that window of time?
0: Not unless Mallory Vaughn told her to meet him there, but then there's no records of the two of them ever having had communication. Right.
1: So no communication, doesn't know where the person lives at thirteen to walk two miles, two two plus miles to a location you have no idea where it is.
0: And you're just carrying duct tape with w- you.
1: Yes. And within a small window.
0: I don't I, I find the whole like dynamics of that scenario just totally off to me. I just I just I don't think, right. I don't think now, it happened that way.
1: If you told me that the grandmother was the one where I the drove fingerprints were on. Her it, over there. Or or yeah. Now, she knows where he lives. She obviously has his phone number. Yeah. Did she drive him or did you know, did she drive her over there?
0: I think that's the thing. I think there are so many unanswered questions and we're going to get into what Angel has to say about that aspect of well, there has to be some family involvement here. And Angel oh, yeah. has a specific response to all of that. Definitely and i think that that kind of is a huge missing part of this case but i don't think that she would have just acted alone whether she was being manipulated by Mallory Vaughn or a family member she is still a 13-year-old child in this case yes so i i find even if the scenarios did ring to be true there was still a a manipulation factor happening here i i don't think i don't find a 13-year-old to be a, a mastermind of um, going to rob someone who has cash on them because they're selling marijuana when they don't have any issues and they're doing well in school and taking the bus to and from school. And I, I don't know. It's just, I seems... don't
1: think it fits her character at 13 years old. No. Do you know what I mean? Like, I understand, like, okay. She's not
0: someone who's been in and out of juvenile detention.
1: or Well, I'm sure other people would make the claim that because, you know, her family has uh, a history in prisons, in and out of prison, that it would sway her to be some way. I'm sure there would be people out there that would say that. But if she, you know, look, she's never shown any sign of that. She seems like she was a quiet type who tried to do well in school. It doesn't fit the character.
0: I agree. So the second question and the other factor in the case is the fingerprints. There were a few things working to benefit the defense in regard to the prints and a number of things working against them. What was bad was the fact that Angel's prints turned up twice on the duct tape and on the sticky side. So, I mean, what what they're saying is, which it, it of course gives the impression that the latent prints were left as she was breaking off pieces of the tape versus maybe just having picked up the role if they were on the outside part of the tape. You see what I'm saying? Totally. But the interesting aspect of the prints was the fact that there were nine other latent prints that couldn't be matched. Who did they belong to? It's because. According to the physical evidence at the scene, let's just say this jailhouse informant is correct in saying his cousin committed this crime, and let's just say that Angel Bumpus was there. Who do the nine other prints belong to?
1: Well, there I don't, was someone
0: yeah. else there.
1: That's possible, right? But I mean, if they can't be matched or there's not a hundred percent match, I mean, it could just be from them touching, right?
0: No, it's it's not their prints. Okay,
1: so the other prints are not matching to the other two people there.
0: Correct. Okay. Well, no, there are no physical prints of Mallory Vaughn being there.
1: Okay, so it's just... okay. It's just, just Angel. Just Angel, okay. Uh, that is weird.
0: Yes. Also, huh. the house is a complete wreck. If Angel had been there, wouldn't her prints have been somewhere in the house? On a door, a table a surface, anything. Her prints were only on two fingerprints on the duct tape. That's it. Nowhere else.
1: What if she was wearing gloves until...
0: Until she took off uh, the duct tape?
1: Think about it. I know... like,
0: But it seems that no one was wearing gloves because there are fingerprints everywhere. So one person wouldn't only be wearing gloves, a 13-year-old, and then take them off to do duct tape and then put them back on when no one else was wearing gloves this was not a crime that was committed with gloves
1: on what if i got something for you okay what if (laughs) the of course they're not going to be suspicious of prints of people who are in the house on a daily basis right or someone that lives there like his wife right right what if everything in the house is a wreck because the wife wrecked everything. No,
0: the wife was at work. Oh.
1: Yeah, I got no answers. Cause I was, well, just hear me out. I know I, what I, you're saying. Like maybe yeah.
0: one of his family members was involved, but that doesn't, but that is, has nothing to do with the fact that if Angel was there, why are her prints not in other places? Like the other latent prints that are in places, there. are on the dining room table they're on the duct tape they're on the wall they're on a doorknob her prints are only on the duct tape nowhere else so she touched nothing else in the house only yeah, the duct tape see
1: that's so strange because it's like we're trying to establish if she was there and the evidence on the tape proves well that's weird that you know that means you must have been there to rip off the tape to 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 continue let's say wrapping this poor man in tape but yet like you said there's nothing in the house so are we trying to say that we can't establish if she was in the whole entire residence of the house But well, but the tape has her prints on it
0: right and that's why the prints hurt the defense but they also help the defense because it actually creates just so many holes in this story and makes the will hopefully make the jury feel if we're talking from a defense standpoint something else must have happened here. Like there are holes, massive holes in this story. Something else must have happened. And reasonable doubt is kind of being created, which is the only thing that needs to be established to determine that someone's not guilty. It's reasonable doubt. And it seems like there is a tremendous amount of reasonable doubt at this point.
1: Yeah, because I mean, if you're having a hard time as an investigator, finding the, like creating a base to work off of, Like, you know, like, okay, these are my, this is my evidence. This is the base of my evidence. I can branch out from this now. Well, guess what? If your base is shaky, there's no way that you could even take any of these things even a step further. If her prints are not in the house, but on the tape, there's something going on here that you just don't know. And you can't just take a random swing at it.
0: I completely agree. Weird. Very. But before we go any further, we're just going to take a break here to talk about our second sponsor of the show. Okay, let's get back to the show. So this is where a bit of the family drama is going to enter into the picture. If you thought it hadn't already, Um, we are alerted on the show that now solely follows the defense attorneys as they try and create the case that there are only three weeks left to the trial. And they received news that the prosecution was going to call Angel's grandmother, the original person of interest in this case, um, Shirley Bumpus, to the stand. So the prosecution is using Angel's grandmother's testimony against her. And the defense is a big problem with this. Um, Shirley, since the cold case has been brought back to life, denied what she said when the murder first happened. If you remember when the detectives went to speak with her the day after the murder of Franklin Bonner, she said that she did speak to him, but then that she never went over the house. Well, now Shirley is saying that she never spoke with him on the phone.
1: I mean, that's a really big deal to just kind of say that, oh, never mind. That never happened. It was I, I, you know, I never talked to him.
0: Yeah, because this looks bad for multiple reasons, and the defense kind of gets into why this looks bad for Angel. Now, we know from the story of Angel that she doesn't get along well with her grandmother. She left her house at an early age and never felt a loving bond with her. However, this is going to look bad to a jury. A jury is going to think that Shirley is now denying the fact that she called Franklin because she's trying to defend her granddaughter. Little does the jury know the two of them don't actually have a relationship. Um, And Shirley is not being accused of this murder. So why is she changing her story if it negatively impacts her granddaughter? It just truly doesn't make any sense. Because it's going to look like she's trying to defend her, but she's not. In fact, she's actually making things worse.
1: Well, I could actually make the argument right now that... Is it possible now that the grandmother has something to hide here? Reason being, you're kind of deflecting now, changing your story, and now you're putting all the heat on your granddaughter, and you know their relationship's kind of rocky already. So is she just kind of trying to put the, you know, like put the cherry on top? You know, like just kind of... Like
0: basically saying, oh, I know nothing about this. It's all her. Yeah, yeah. It's um, either way, it's bad, and it's a shame that things are going through this way so basically what we see in the case is that the defense attorney of Angel wants to go and speak to Shirley and um, Shirley's husband Angel's grandfather Bayless because they want to say okay the prosecution's going to ask you this and how are you going to respond they basically want to know what are we up against what are we going to have to defend Angel from because Your testimony is going to hurt her, meaning Shirley's testimony. So when the defense attorney gets to Shirley and Bayless's house, Shirley made it very clear that she was not happy that the attorney or the cameras were there, which is kind of like sad because they're trying to keep your granddaughter out of prison so she can raise her children who are your great-grandchildren. It's just, it's sad. But Bayless is very impassive to kind of the whole situation. And Shirley, when questioned by the attorney, claimed that she didn't remember what happened 10 years ago. And even if she was possibly presented with phone records in court that showed that she called Franklin that day, she would say, oh, I would just tell them I don't recognize the phone number because it's 10 years old. So... Now, this is stressful because she could easily help Angel by just saying she did make the call, but that she just didn't go there.
1: Also, who's forcing her hand to test uh, to testify?
0: Well, she's being ordered to by the prosecution. Okay. so she has to testify.
1: Okay, I thought that she was a willing participant.
0: No, she doesn't want to be testifying. Um, But like this is what's confusing is. She does know that she called Franklin Bonner. She admitted to calling him, and now she's lying about it. So it's not like, oh, I'm lying to protect my grandchild. It's actually I'm lying to hurt my grandchild when I could just tell the truth and hurt them and help them.
1: Right, exactly, because, like, any any small detail to this cold case right. would help.
0: The only thing Shirley needs to say is that, I mean, obviously she might have other reasons for not wanting to say these things like you brought up, but we don't, well, let's not go there yet. Or I don't want to supposedly or accuse anyone of doing anything, but she just has to say, called him, which she's already admitted to. I didn't go there, which she's already admitted to. And then she's got to answer the question. Had Angel ever gone with her to pick up marijuana, because that could potentially be what the prosecution is trying to establish, that Angel's claiming she doesn't know where Franklin Bonner lived, but if she ever accompanied her grandmother to buy marijuana from him, then she would know.
1: Then it would make sense that a 13-year-old could walk two miles Correct. to a place she did know. It yes. would it would blow the doors off of this. 100%.
0: You know? 100%. Now, Angel claims that she didn't have that kind of relationship with her grandmother. She never went places with her or anything like that. But we don't know. So you're right. That would blow the hinges off of this case if it were ever to be known that. And maybe that is Shirley trying to protect her granddaughter and not and just trying to deny, deny, deny. We don't know. That's that's the thing with this case. There's so many unknowns because it is so fresh and we're kind of watching this behind the scenes that we've never really seen before in any case. It's fascinating.
1: I wish they were all like that. We could just get a sense of the room, you know?
0: I know. Well, I wish more than anything we could be a fly on the wall. I always think that. I just wish I could have been there. Yeah. (laughs) So I have to say as a viewer, it was kind of sad to see the situation with Angel and her grandmother because it just seems like um, a very confusing and complicated family dynamic was kind of playing out in a courtroom which is always really sad and she ended the conversation with the defense attorney by saying i'm not holding anything back they know i don't have anything to do with cookie being murdered and cookie again is the nickname of franklin bonner so that's what she says to the defense attorney next we hear from bayless and we learned something quite significant Something that I'm shocked Angel did not tell her lawyers. And I'm a little confused as to why she didn't. Her grandfather, who appears to be an incredibly sweet and gentle man, used to do maintenance work at the Bonner house. Really? Yes. He recalled that he used to go up there at least once a week and fix whatever needed to be done around the house. Painting, plumbing, and maybe, because he used it all the time, he left a roll of duct tape at the house maybe it had angel's prints on it because she always used to do arts and crafts in the garage
1: oh my god okay
0: and this was like christmas for the defense attorneys this was their reasonable doubt did the people that went in to franklin bonner's house rob him duct tape him up just use a piece of use a roll of duct tape that was already in that house because Bayless Bumpus left it there and it had Angel's prints on it because she had been using it for arts and crafts.
1: <laughs> I mean, if that is the case, I mean, geez, what a like. Could you imagine? I mean, that would be insane because you got to remember, right? We all were kids once. You know that we love to. We all love to touch everything. Oh, I messed
0: with everything. I messed
1: with everything. I was I was crazy. So, like, yeah, I probably would have touched the roll of duct tape, too.
0: I was in, like, my dad had, the, like, within our laundry room, he had, like, all of his tools up on the wall and, like, this, like, tool, like, kind of, like, I don't know. Like a workbench? Yeah, like a workbench shelf kind of thing. I touched everything.
1: Because you wanted to see what it if, does. Oh,
0: yeah. And even yeah. if I had no clue what it did, I was just messing with it. If a crime would have been committed with any of those weapons, six-year-old me <laughs> would have been facing a murder trial. Well, exactly. I mean, like, for well, real.
1: And that's exactly what we're talking about here. Like, think about it. You relate it to yourself for a second. Imagine 10 years. You know, you're 13 years old. 10 years later, you're like, what? I didn't kill anybody. And
0: that's really kind of what we get from Angel Bumpus. Is yeah. What the hell?
1: That's crazy. Uh, by the way, my, my thing when I was a young kid, for whatever reason, I used to love to test the the tensile strength of pen of pens. So if they like I would try to snap them and, and to see if they would break. That's terrible. Yeah, I know. It was crazy. And then maybe like I'm like a serial killer or something. I don't know. But why because
0: you tested the strength of pens? That's <laughs> not a accurate Measure of I'm killers. just <laughs> kidding. Was a, it was a joke. It's but. not like the triad of like messing no, with know. animals, peeing your bed. Well, and
1: well, I never did any of those Lighting
0: things. fires. I did have a fire fascination for a while. Really?
1: No, yeah. but I would. And then one time I broke a pen and the ink went all over my mom and dad's living room. Like brand new couches, brand new like throw pillows, brand new rug.
0: I'm sure that went over well.
1: It didn't. It, it really didn't. But you know what's crazy? My dad never found out. Until, like, a couple years ago. Well,
0: that's good. That's good yeah. cleaning well, skills well, from your mom. I
1: have to, well, it was my mom and it was my aunt. They were, like, scrubbing. Scrub masters. And they got everything out somehow. <laughs> I don't know how, but congratulations to them because well, they saved what? me from uh, a very long punishment.
0: They would have been good crime scene cleaners.
1: Oh, yeah. You're right, actually. <laughs>
0: Maybe. <laughs> Hopefully they had no experience in doing no,
1: that. No, I don't think so.
0: <laughs> okay. So... This was huge news for the defense. This is their reasonable doubt. Like you always want, okay, if we're saying she wasn't at the scene, what's the reason why her prints were there? Boom. It was kind of like gift wrapped to them. Yeah. So of course now they're going to call Bayless to the stand, but you have to imagine, look at the, the case as a whole for a second. As a juror, you're sitting there and for the prosecution, Angel's grandmother's being questioned, but her husband's a witness for the defense. It's just like, it's bizarre.
1: Yeah, I mean, this whole family is now wrapped up on either side of, uh, you know, of the case. It's so weird.
0: So I think now is as good a time as any to kind of mention the fact that it is quite clear um, throughout the whole entire show that the defense team really feels as if Angel was holding back from them. Like, she would drive the 300 miles to meet with them and kind of talk about the case, but she would never really have anything to say. They asked if she knew anything, and she said no. She had no clue. For some reason, and I don't know why, because the defense attorneys truly have all the evidence that the prosecution does, obviously, they believe that Angel knows more about this case than she's saying. And she's not giving up key information that might exonerate her or implicate her. I don't know. Um, But she every time they they ask her and they ask her repeatedly, do you know who did this? Do you know why someone did this? Did anyone in your family do this? They, They ask her over and over and over again. They're like, are you protecting anyone? No, no, no. That's always her response. Then something explosive happened. Um, this literally this episode of this show was like a real life adaptation of like a John Grissom novel. Like it was insane. The defense attorneys got a really interesting piece of evidence. It was a prison phone call that took place between Angel's brothers. In the call, one brother asked, did you hear what happened to Angel. The case that happened nine years ago, the murder and burglary, she's hooked up for it. The other brother replied, "Uh uh-oh. And then the other brother said, nah, she was 13. Then the other brother responded, think about it. Think hard. So, like, the whole, like, conversation played out like this. Like, it's hard to explain. Let me just, I'll, I'll redo it again, but just all at once. Did you hear what happened to Angel? The case that happened nine years ago. The murder and burglary. She's hooked up for it. Uh Uh-oh. No, she was 13. Think about it. Think hard.
1: I mean, I'm guessing that she... That that they had some sort of involvement.
0: Yeah, like... uh, Or they know. Or they know what happened and they're like, Oh, shit, she's getting put in the rap for it.
1: Right. Right. I... They, maybe they have involvement.
0: A hundred percent. They're they're her older brothers, oh or my they God. know who really did it.
1: And she just and Angel just might be completely oblivious to all of this. Yeah. going down.
0: Or she might know and might not want to tell on somebody because she doesn't want to be involved in that world.
1: Wow, this is crazy. Okay.
0: So it sounded like the brothers knew who was responsible for the burglary and the murder. Could it have been them? Someone they knew. Well, the defense attorneys play the tape for Angel, and oddly, she seemed completely unfazed by it, and said she didn't know what they were referring to in the conversation. Like, if I heard that, I think I would be really upset, and I'd want to—I'd want to yeah. talk to my brothers and be like, "What are you talking about?"
1: I think your first thing that you would want to do is—is is be a little irate about it, right, and try to defend yourself. Because I mean, like. You know, in a way, it's like, what are you trying to accuse me of? I don't know anything. Oh, totally. Right? But, like, to just sit there and kind of just take it seems a little odd. Almost as if you are hiding something, right? I don't know. Somebody in this family is hiding something. I know. Or all of them. Or there's a possibility that all of them know something. Allegedly. 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 That's... Whole
0: disclaimer on this whole case. Allegedly. Allegedly.
1: I'm just saying, it would be odd to just pick one person out of this family. Uh, This is very confusing. Right now, we have two people. We have two brothers in this family that already know. They're talking about it. They're actively talking about it. So they know something. So why is it crazy to think that uh, you know that it goes outside of those two brothers that they know something? I
0: don't understand. Think think about it. Think hard. No, no, talk hard. Tell people
1: well, no, if your well, sister
0: didn't do it.
1: Well, because they know that they're in jail.
0: I know. And they're talking to and each other. And then that makes me think, is that why the prosecution is going so hard on her? Because they want her to crack or they want someone else to be like, you know what? No, let me not mess up the lives of her two children and let me confess. Is that what prosecution is trying to do?
1: I uh, Maybe. Yeah.
0: So. Her attorneys press her again and again, ask her, you know, are you protecting anyone? Do do you think anyone knows what happened? And she continued to tell them that she didn't know what happened or anyone that did. And now there's a flip side to all of this. Angel no longer lives in Tennessee. And from what it looks like, she no longer has a relationship with her family. She has her life on track and she's a hardworking mother. I don't think she would give up her daughters to protect a family member, though. Like, I I think Angel, if she didn't do this, is completely oblivious because I can't see her. Like, if she doesn't have a relationship with her brothers or her grandmother, then she wouldn't protect them to potentially lose her children. Do you know what I'm saying?
1: Do you know what you're
0: saying? So I, I, I that adds a whole nother layer of complication to this. And in the week before trial was set to begin, Angel um, we see has to give up power of attorney to her children, um, presumably to her husband, uh, because if she's found guilty, um, they just want to make sure that the children are where she wants them to be. It's complicated. Um, And now during the trial, which she will face with Mallory Vaughn, It is important to note that the evidence against Vaughn does not implicate Angel and vice versa. So it's entirely possible that one could be found guilty and one could be found not guilty. And the different evidences against each party are going to be presented and defended separately. Okay. It Really, the reason why they're being tried together is because there is very little evidence against Mallory Vaughn And it saves money for the state for them to try them together for the same murder.
1: I mean, that makes sense.
0: Yeah. But before we get into the trial, I just want to take a break to talk about our final sponsor of the show. Okay. Let's get back to the show. So now we're getting into the trial. Are you nervous?
1: I'm anxious to find out what is going on and who's hiding something.
0: Do you think she's going to be found... Guilty or not guilty? Wait, let me go through the trial first and then I'll ask you again. I'm just excited too. (laughs) Okay. Okay. On the first day of the trial, the opening statements are made by both sides. And the defense makes a really strong point to the jury that if there is reasonable doubt, they can't convict Angel or Mr. Vaughn. Linda Bonner was the first to take the stand, the widow of the victim. And it was heartbreaking to watch her recall the day that she found her husband dead. Linda Bonner had been very vocal about the catching of her husband's killer throughout the years when the case was cold. When she had been asked by a local reporter why she hadn't moved after the murder, she said the killer or killers took Franklin away from her, but she was not going to let them steal away the house that she built with him for her children. So she stayed, and she hoped that his murderers would be caught. And now two defendants stood trial, and she was very adamant that she wanted to see both of them punished. Next, a forensic scientist testified that on both the regular and sticky side of the tape, Angel's prints were found in two places at the crime scene, one on a piece of tape that was near the chair leg that Franklin had been sitting on, and the other piece of duct tape that had a latent fingerprint from Angel was on his face. Upon cross-examination, the defense team established that those latent prints could have been made at any time and did not necessarily need to be made at the time of the crime. The scientists also stated that there were still nine latent prints that were never identified in the house or on pieces of duct tape. And because the prosecution did not have any answers for the nine unaccounted for latent prints, it seemed that there were a lot of loose ends that they were not tying up in their story. Who were those people? Also, to what length were those nine other prints investigated? And should they be retested? After the forensic scientist took the stand, the investigator that first took on the case was called to the stand. He testified that when he had looked through the caller ID of the Bonners that day, he had seen a number that belonged to Shirley Bumpus. And when he had gone over, he talked to her and she admitted that she had called him that day and spoke with him about possibly buying marijuana, but then that she had never went over. Okay. Next, the prosecution, as the defense feared, called Angel's grandmother to the stand. She was asked if she recalled speaking with the detective the day after Franklin Bonner was murdered. She said that she thought it had been days after the fact, but she couldn't remember. She did confirm that she spoke with him, though. She was asked if she told the detective that she called Franklin Bonner. She said no. She said no. She said no. Okay. So now you have a detective saying she told me yes, and then she comes on the stand and says, I told him no. She was asked if she had purchased marijuana from Franklin Bonner at around 2.15 And she said, no, she did not. Now, this is all very strange because what it looks like from the standpoint of the jury, if I was sitting on the jury, that the prosecution is implying that Shirley had something to do with this crime, because why else would they ask so specifically if, now this is key, she bought marijuana from him at 2.15. We know the crime happened between two and four. Right. So that would implicate her in the murder. We also know Angel didn't get home until 2.45. So they are they trying to say that they thought that this was Shirley and that Angel's not involved?
1: I mean, that's a good point because right. Because then that would the timeline that has already been established would fit.
0: Yes. And I think that um, I don't know. I think that this might be their way to I don't know. But then it can't be because then if Angel is convicted of this, they're not going to then go and go after Shirley unless Angel folds, but she's not folding. But I feel like if Angel had something against her grandmother, she would just say it because she's not getting along with her. And her grandmother is, I, be, I feel, being involved in the prosecuting of her.
1: I, yeah. Remember how we were talking earlier about how, you know, they're doing, they're kind of putting the hammer down on her to see what else she might know. At this point. She would fold. She would fold. I mean, think about you. Like, if anyone put themselves in this situation, like, you just tell them anything you know.
0: Well, it's 60 years for a family member you don't even talk to. Right. Who is hurting you right now.
1: Yeah, that doesn't even care.
0: But either way, either if the prosecution is trying to plant something or I don't know what they're doing. But either way, it looked like Shirley was lying. And... Shirley, from the eyes of the jury, is directly connected with Angel, because the jury doesn't know about their bad relationship, okay? And by proxy, if Shirley's lying, the jury's going to think that Angel is lying about either her family's involvement or the burglary and the murder or anything. So it just, it looks bad for her. So now at this point, during a recess, we see Angel, and she's very upset. She reveals that she's not happy with her defense. She wants them to be meaner. And I do have to say that um, the defense team, they seem very capable and very intelligent, but they are very nice. <laughs> and yeah. I, can, I do feel like I would want someone to be very aggressive in the defense of my life.
1: There's a lot of people in the room that you need to, I don't want to say appease, but.
0: I know what you're saying. They're playing the game.
1: They're playing the game. They're also trying to make it look good on the jury's behalf. Here we are. If you're in there, look, you're looking at the prosecution just going ham, going crazy with spewing out everything that they're doing. And, uh, you know, maybe if the defense team is, you know, staying calm and cool, it kind of shows, like, it would show me if I was one of the jury members the confident the how confident this defense team is that they are not even flinching with what's being thrown at them. So it depends right. on who is in the room and who they're trying to like show their, you know, you know, or who they're looking to appease.
0: No, I get it. They're trying to hide their cards. Yeah. But what and I get what Angel's saying is because I specifically In the questioning of her grandmother, because I think Angel was really upset with her grandmother for taking the stand and saying what she said. So she wanted her defense team to be more aggressive with her grandmother in particular, and they weren't. So she felt like she wasn't getting her best defense because they didn't aggressively question, cross-examine her grandmother. Right. So that's what she wanted. And I can't imagine the frustration you must feel when you are on trial for your life. And you feel like your defense team is not doing a good job. I mean, I could not even begin to comprehend how that must feel. But what we do see from Angel in these scenes is how unbelievably polite she is. In that you can tell that she is very upset at her defense team. And another thing is happening here is that Angel very adamantly wants to take the stand and defend herself she feels the jury wants to hear her say I didn't do it and she wants to talk about how she didn't do it and she wants to just as anyone would I just want to tell them I didn't do it and then they'll understand and her defense team is saying no don't take the stand because you really don't have anything to say because you don't have anything to say you're all you're going to say is I wasn't there and that's not what they want to hear and I could tell she's really frustrated, but she's so polite that she says, "Okay," like you know what I mean. Like it just doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like this cold blooded killer in any way. And if and if she did do this, you can't tell me that thirteen year old girl wasn't manipulated. You could just tell in her. I don't know. Well, that's this kind of whole what I thing yeah. makes me like.
1: Well, well, if you remember, I said you know, earlier weird? that. It doesn't fit her character. Right. It doesn't fit her character then and it doesn't fit her character now. So.
0: Right. So we basically leave that recess knowing that Angel is not going to testify in her trial. And she's very upset about this. So the prosecution is going to call their final witness And this is the cousin of Mallory Vaughn. Don't forget, we also have to hear the evidence for Vaughn. And there really is only one piece of evidence. And that is um, his cousin accusing him of this. So his cousin takes the stand and testifies that Vaughn told him that he had duct taped the man up and committed those crimes that happened, was his exact quote. The jailhouse snitch was the only evidence that the court had against Vaughn. And the defense team on cross-examination established that Bond's cousin was getting a seriously reduced sentence for his testimony. Now it is time for the defense to lay out their case. They reveal that they never even attempted to have the phone conversation between Angel's brothers entered as evidence.
1: I mean, that's a pretty big deal, don't you think?
0: Well, they did it because they said they knew the judge would deem it hearsay. But I'm shocked that they didn't even try to at least have it on the record that they tried to include it in the trial.
1: Well, even that phone conversation, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong here, but that that conversation, yeah, it might be hearsay, but wouldn't that, though, create reasonable doubt? Um, yeah. They're talking about someone taking the rap for something that they didn't do. Yeah. So that would be an indication that there's more that's – that's involved than what we know. Like, obviously someone's holding something back and this person's innocent.
0: I completely agree with you. Weird. Very much so. So the key witness for the defense is, of course, Bayless Bumpus. He established that he always worked at the Bonner house and that he may have brought over a roll of duct tape while he was working on something. An angel who always did arts and crafts in the garage may have touched it. Now, this is hard because the jury has already seen his wife lie on the stand. So his credibility, although it shouldn't have been, I am sure was called into question by them. Which is sad because really, truly, this does establish reasonable doubt. um, A kind of almost seemingly impossible stroke of bad luck, but nonetheless reasonable doubt. Especially because there's nine other prints on the tape that are unaccounted for. Yeah, that's true. And Angel's prints appear nowhere in the house. And um, that was time for closing arguments. The closing arguments from the prosecution were simple. Um, Vaughn admitted he did it to his cousin. Yes, the man he told is getting a lighter sentence, but it was his cousin, and that should mean something. And when it came to Angel, it was simple. There was physical evidence. Her prints were on the scene. She had to have been there. In their closing, the defense demonstrated how you could get prints on the sticky side and flat side of the tape if you took too much accidentally and then put the tape back. They also made an important argument. How likely is it that a quiet, shy, good student, a 13-year-old student, came home at 2.45, walked two and a half miles, which took 44 minutes, After grabbing duct tape from her house and met up with a man she didn't know, who was double her age, and committed a burglary where she taped a man but left no prints in the house itself. Also, she had never committed a crime before or after this. So how likely is this scenario? Okay, what do you think?
1: Uh, Okay. Okay, this is—it's difficult because I'm going to tell you what I think is— the conclusion to this
0: no no tell me what you
1: you want to know what my opinion is on this
0: yes if you were on the jury oh
1: jeez. i would have to say i don't think she did it because we are having a hard time establishing how her prints are in on one object but nowhere else in the house i would also say we are having a hard time establishing her timeline of like we know she was at school, but like for her to have to walk two miles to a place that she didn't know, very bizarre. And also, what's her involvement with this person? Like you just said, that's twenty six years old. I have to say, she didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that the evidence, her fit, the physical evidence that have her prints on it, is just the worst luck of all time. Now, yeah. what I what I think is about to go down is I think that they're going to accuse they're going to find her guilty. They're not going to be able to get their mind around the fact that her her, uh, fingerprints. her fingerprints are on two sides of the tape. Reason being, okay, I could understand a small piece that you pulled is on two sides. But you can't just roll it back if it's longer. If you have a even if it was a foot long, you can't take a foot long thing of tape back and try to put it back on a roll.
0: Well, you could, you could, but it would just be messy. With
1: the, with the amount that they used to tape this guy to a chair. Yeah,
0: but what they're saying is, what the defense is saying is that she, in doing a project, took too much, so then she put some back after she had touched it, and then she ripped what she needed.
1: I yeah, I just now, think they're not gonna, they're not gonna be able to get their minds around. What
0: that. I think is hard to get their minds around is that the location of the latent prints one fingerprint was found on a piece of duct tape by the leg and another was found on the face so i just think that if it were a strip that she took too much of and put back it would be on the same location do you know what i'm saying yeah like it would be on the only wrapped around the arm or only wrapped around the face like the fact that it's in two different locations might make it hard to get past.
1: And I also think they're going to f- find it odd that sh- it might look like she's hiding something.
0: I agree with you. So
1: I think that that's what's going to make them come to that conclusion.
0: Because if she was there, then who else was there and why aren't you talking about it?
1: Yeah, just l- tell Because her they well. manipulated you. Right.
0: But maybe she's not talking about it because she might have been a victim of abuse.
1: That will... Yes, that's probably what's going on, but we can't look at that. I know. Because we're looking at it through the eyes of the juror in this moment. And the jury is not thinking about that. They're not thinking about the possibility of that.
0: Yeah. Okay. So the jury deliberated for five hours. The judge read the verdict of Mallory Vaughn first. He was found not guilty. Okay. Next was Angel. Hopeful that she would also be found not guilty, like her co-defendant, she stood next to her lawyers. Guilty. She was found guilty of felonious murder and an attempt to commit aggravated robbery.
1: Yeah, I knew it.
0: We see the girl, who could not believe any of this was real, suddenly realize that she is going to have to watch her two beautiful girls grow up behind bars. She gets very upset. Very upset. Emotional, not angry. She's more emotional, but seems a little angry. She walks away from her lawyers and goes immediately in front of a bailiff, um, with her back to them, her hands behind her back, expecting to be cuffed right away. The judge told her she needed to to wait and that she needed to go back by her lawyers while he read a statement. And she said, "No, no, I don't want to wait. I'm never going to see my kids again." I want to go. I just want to go. And she was very upset at this point. So a judge then allowed her to be escorted out of the courtroom by the bailiff. It was very emotionally charged. And eventually, um, during a later sentencing hearing, she is sentenced to 60 years in prison. She won't be eligible for parole until 2070.
1: Yeah. I. Oh, my God i I knew it because it is bizarre. I think that yes, the tape, yes, you can create reasonable doubt, but it people aren't gonna see it that way all the time.
0: Yeah, no, you're
1: right. you're right and even though she's thirteen, like like physical evidence just speaks volumes, I think, to people that are sitting in a courtroom like that. They see physical evidence and they feel like someone's holding something back, they're gonna find you guilty. I agree. And that's why I'm sure defense attorneys all the time talk about body language and all that other stuff because it plays a role. No, it does. It does. And if she's holding back, and like the, her own defense attorney says, we can't even put you up there because you have nothing to say because you won't even say wh- what you know. Right. So it's almost like you are hiding something. It's
0: it's the whole thing is like, but what happened? Like, that's yeah. what you keep saying. And it's it's just tragic because... Now you have this perpetuation of a cycle that Angel Bumpus was trying to break in her actually taking care of her daughters and not being like her own mother. But now she ends up being like her own mother without wanting to be.
1: I'm going to just say that I will end everything that I have to say with this. Okay. If she did not do it, then I think this is the, one of the biggest injustices that I've ever seen I know in my life because also she did this at 13. Even if she did do this, she was 13 at the time of murder. Are you really gonna give this? Are you really gonna give this 13 year old girl 60, 60 years. years in prison, or are you gonna put her in juvie where she could have her you know her whole thing expunged and be out at 25. And be out of 25?
0: And she's 26 right now. Right. She would have already been out of right. prison.
1: So, like, like what is fair here? If now, she would
0: have been caught yeah. at 13, she would already be out of jail right now.
1: Now, let's not forget, though, because we haven't really mentioned this. Someone did die here. Like, yeah. the guy died. It's very... It's it's really messed up.
0: Right. And that, that, I don't want to escape what we're talking about. Right? Franklin Bonner was murdered, and this was horrific. But... And let's just say, if Angel Bumpus was there, she was there under the orders of someone else someone else who has not been prosecuted for this the person whose true intention was to rob possibly to murder and was manipulating a 13 year old girl that is a that is the perpetrator that we need to be going after because You can't say they haven't done anything after this if they're going to do something that cruel. She was somehow being manipulated or abused by somebody, and that's why she was there that day. And that's what we need to find out. Or it's just a massive miscarriage of justice. And I think it's a ma- uh, miscarriage of justice to the Bonner family as well, because the true person isn't being prosecuted here.
1: Exactly. I mean, this guy died. I mean, the best thing that you could do for this family and for him is to is for his murder to be solved and for everyone done to be put away. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, even if she was, let's say, let's say that she wasn't caught at twenty five. Well, I'm saying caught, but you know what I mean. And it was at thirteen. Justice, justice is served by making sure that she's sentenced to ju- a juvenile program where she could be, you yeah. know, um, I don't, I don't know what the right word is, rehabilitated, rehabilitated. Yes, like that's that is what's fair. She's 13 years old,
0: right? So now, just because she was caught later, now she's being punished as an adult,
1: right? Where you know the sentence is way steeper
0: when when your mind is not developed as it is at 13 as it is at 26
1: 100 100
0: or even 18
1: <laughs> come on i i just don't i just don't know and even if it was the right call like i said i just
0: it's this ah, is this, this is, is an good. intense one yeah so this case is so intense because you're left shocked Yes, her prints were at the scene, but was reasonable doubt presented, and even if she did do it, who was she being manipulated by, or who was the mastermind behind this? It's clear that some people know more than they're potentially saying, um, allegedly, other people that she may know might be involved, or maybe just other people that maybe people that were in high school were involved, and they like, there are so many potentialities here that have just not been explored. And I think need to be. And again, like you brought up, why was she tried as an adult? She had been 13 at the time. So that's a very interesting choice. Now, Angel with new attorneys has an appeal scheduled. However, she has yet to have her day in court again because of COVID delays. She was scheduled to be in court on January 7th, 2022, but it did not happen. So most likely it will be rescheduled again. Angel's children are most, they most likely live with their father or a close relative on his side. We really don't know. The information surrounding her husband and her brothers has been kept very quiet. There are many social media pages and advocacy groups that are calling for a retrial. And if we see one, it is something that I'd be very interested in covering. And it's something that we will keep our audience updated about because this is a uh, very interesting and and like I said in the way beginning this is a very polarizing case
1: yeah and I think that as far as the justice system is concerned I feel like there should be we shouldn't need these advocacy groups and stuff it should just be as simple as the appeal process to get from start to finish should be a very fast track and just very simple way of doing it it shouldn't be well there's who has so the deepest many... pockets who has the ability to do that like these are things that are it's a human right.
0: Well, the thing is, is that our prisons are so overcrowded that the appeal process has to be uh, complicated and so lengthy because there's so many people waiting for appeals. Yeah. It's all about... Just the amount of people that we have incarcerated in this country,
1: even though those groups are really great, and I'm sure they do help out people. I'm not, well, the, I'm just those trying to say, exist yeah, yeah. because
0: of the way, right? Whereas are. If,
1: if it was fixed and done and yeah. made the proper way, you wouldn't even need it. Right. That's right. what I'm trying to get at here. We know, we know. Yeah, yeah. Just making sure. Don't worry. Those groups are great. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm Not hating on them.
0: Okay, we cannot wait to hear what you think about this case. It's uh, very interesting and um, if you do get a chance, you got to watch that episode, um, Accused Guilty or Innocent on A&E.
1: Well, you guys know what I'm going to be doing after this I know. podcast.
0: You have to watch it. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. Yep. So um, before we go, we do want to thank our new Patreon supporters um, since the last episode. So we just want to say thank you so much to Caitlin, who joined and upped her pledge, so thank you so much. Lucy, Louise Brennan upped her pledge. Alexandra Sherman, Jess Huey upped her pledge. Ashley Chitwood, Brandy Garza, Tyler Doobie, Brittany Engelin, Amy Riley, Jamie Johnson, Michelle Rosenberg, Joseph Odom, D. Vincent, Joy Sarles. Carrie Olofsky, Hannah Davies, Leah, Ashling McAuliffe, Roz Rhodes, Fiona Atkinson, Michelle James, and Leah White. Thank you guys so much for joining, and we hope you're uh, liking all of those episodes that we have for you. Currently, right now, we have 62 episodes on Patreon, so if you want more True Crime Couple, you could join at patreon.com slash truecrimecouple. All right, guys, we hope you have a wonderful Valentine's Day, which is tomorrow. Yes. Um, Bye, guys.
1: Take care, guys.